Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates Podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or in fact Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy talking to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next and everything else in between. My guest today is Emma Duxbury from Sky Sports Radio. Emma has spent over a decade working in Sydney commercial radio, having previously worked at WSFM, Mix 106.5, Triple M and Today FM, as well as a stint as media manager for the Penrith Panthers NRL team. We chat about her career to date, what Kyle Sanderlands is really like, and washing Wendell Saylor's car in a bikini on Parramatta Road. Emma is one of the loveliest people you'll ever meet, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Hello, Emma Duxbury. Hello, Ralph Tucker. How are you? Good, thank you. It's good to have you on the Media Mates podcast. Thank you. It's been a while since we've chatted. Uh, yeah, exactly. You're the second female behind Sarah Harris. There was a bit of a lineup of a sausage factory going on, so I thought I'd <laughs> even the keel up. And since you were close by, we live around yes. the corner from each other. Yes. I thought I'd get you along. Pop on over, have a chat anytime. <laughs> Now, you're currently doing some work for Sky Sports Radio and the Big Sports Breakfast with Michael Slater and Terry Kennedy. How's that going? Yes, those two jokers. It's always eventful at that place. It was, I think I've been there since June this year, so 2015. Um, So it's been a good six months and um, started there after I left Panthers and wanted to get back into news and sort of the job popped up, which was ideal because it's radio predominantly, but it's also simulcast on Sky Racing TV. So getting into dabbling into a little bit of the TV thing, so I actually have to put a full face of makeup on every morning and get dressed and look decent. And I was then- going to ask you about that. How's <laughs> that? Like it must be a weird feeling having to sort of coming from a, a background of radio where you can pretty much turn up Roll in, in you your pyjamas, yep. Uh, having the look and the sound at the same time. At first it was a little bit daunting because you don't realise what your face looks like when you read a news bulletin and when you're trying to enunciate words generally most of the time you look ridiculous. And so for the first sort of week or two, I actually came back, I I recorded it on Foxtel and looked back and went, okay, well, don't do that anymore and don't do that. And that top looks good. So wear that one again and then fix your hair here. And so it was kind of a bit of trial and error. And the guys at, at Sky were awesome. So they sort of gave me a few pointers and slats and TK sort of sat me down and said, when you do this, look this way or do this a certain way. I mean, they sort of weren't prepared for me to come on board as quickly as I did, I think they were still getting used to because they've only just started with TV as right. well. So they're all still sort of um, merging into the TV side of things. So I started without an auto cue, so I didn't have a teleprompter. I was literally reading off paper to a camera, okay. which was a little off-putting at first trying to work out how to do it. But then sort of in a couple of weeks we got the auto cue sorted and that was learning how to do that kind of on the fly was fun as well. But I think you get sort of the best results if you're just thrown in the deep end in this industry and you just learn how to do it very, Did very quickly. Did you find that it took a while to sort of adapt and get no, relaxed? not really. It's such a relaxed environment at Sky. It really, really is. You sort of cruise on in the morning. Everybody just sort of sits and does their own job. And everybody's really supportive. So it was very much a let's just try it and see how it goes. And if it doesn't or you're not happy with it, then we'll fix it so it suits you. Instead of already having that system set up and me having to adapt, they really were quite flexible adapting it to me, which is really good. So um, I sort of went in there and after the first couple of days, we had discussions on what do you like, what don't you like, um, what could we improve to make it easier for you? And then we sort of built it up 
together, I guess, which is perfect. So it's sort of set up in a way that works perfectly for me and um, hopefully is easy enough for sort of if somebody has to come and fill in or if, if somebody else wants to use the system. What's it like coming in completely fresh, like in terms of not having any overnight stories there left by somebody else? Because obviously you're the only one doing the bulletin because there's no afternoon bulletins because they go to racing. Yeah. yeah. Having had at least one or two other people previously when you'd worked at um, WSFM and also Today FM and Triple M, having some other people there to work with you to sort of get through the stories of the day because it must be really hard to do it as a solo operator. <laughs> it is a little bit. You go, I get in at about quarter to four in the morning and pretty much the first half an hour is trawling back through everything from the night before. So, um, I mean, obviously – being um, a racing station, we generally include as much racing stuff as we can. So there'll usually be at least one story um, in each news bulletin. Um, but then because it's we it's New South Wales and Queensland, so we sort of look at both of right. those. So we go back through the wires, go back through telly overnight, news.com, check out everything that's online before the papers get in, kind of have an idea of what you need to cover from the day before and what sort of is going to progress through the day and, and then work out your angles Um Monday mornings is exceptionally busy, especially in the middle of sports season, so NRL, rugby, because you've got to cover everything from the weekend because there's no weekend news service either. So you've got to cover everything from the weekend plus the Sunday night plus preview what's coming up on Monday. And then if there's any live sport happening on Monday morning, you've also got to add that in. And keeping in mind, you've only got three minutes to do news and sport as well. So you've kind of got to work out, you've got to work very, very quickly and sort of work out, okay, what can wait till the next bulletin or what can I shave off here or can I yeah. sum this up in a sentence or do I need to elaborate? And you, you generally kind of get a feel for what needs to go in and what doesn't, just like any other newsroom. Um, and then you just go very, very, very quickly in the first hour and a half of your shift. I can imagine. Obviously, being a sports breakfast show, there'd be a whole lot of emphasis on sport. And mm-hmm. I mean, the guys would be interviewing probably five or six guests every yes. morning. So to have turned those guys around as well, uh, that must be uh, a major part of your shift. Yes. I'm, well, I'm very lucky in that sense, in that I just focus on the copy side of things. Um, we've got, um, when we are in TV um, ratings period, I've got an editor who turns all the vision around. So um, if there's any press conferences or anything, he goes through all that and he cuts me overlay vision for my news. He'll cut me grabs. He'll edit all that out. If it is um, strictly radio, we've got our panel op who doubles up. So he'll listen, he'll wait for a break in programming or wait for an ad break. Then he'll race back and cut that audio grab up for me. I race in there, have a listen to it, work out what my in queue and out queue is, sort of mould my story around that, and then rush back and put it into the bulletin. So sometimes we make it the next bulletin, other times it has to be pushed back <laughs> because it's just it's too fiddly to work it out and it's better to go with what you know on air for that bulletin than to try and rush something in and have it not work out. Was media something that was always in your planning when oh, you were in school? or God, no. So year 10 work experience, I still had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So I went and did work experience at the army because I was sort of into fitness. I was always, I was the sporty kid at school. So always did sort of extracurricular stuff. And I thought, I'll just go and do something that I know is sort of physically demanding and that I might be interested in, I think. Um, 
loved every minute of it, did a week and did sort of sat with their PT class and sort of did the training courses and stuff and all that kind of thing. By the end of year 11, still had no idea. So my mother panicked and sent me to a guidance counsellor or careers counsellor yep. and did sort of three hours of um, of like the cognitive testing and what which side of your brain works Jeez, for which side. Oh, it was so full on, right? So which side of your brain works best and what you're na- what I'm naturally gifted at. Okay. Um and then he came back and he actually said, You could be a lawyer, you have the smarts to be a lawyer, but you would not sit through six years of uni and you would hate you would be amazing in a courtroom, but you would hate all the paperwork that went with it. And then turned around and said, next best thing, he said, you need to go to Charles Sturt University and do one of these three degrees and journalism was one of them. Yep. And he said, you will excel. And this is this is what your brain is sort of built to do. This is the type of thing that your brain's built right. to do. I was always good at English, not so good at maths um, through school and so it kind of made sense and I thought I've got no idea what else to do so I might as well. And bonus, it was at Bathurst so I got to move out of home at 18 and right. go and live in dorms, which was amazing. Um and he was right. I loved every single minute of it. Um, got some really good work experience out of it and made some really good contacts and got some casual work pretty much straight out of uni and in Bathurst and then, um, Sydney and the Central Coast and just kind of started off making coffees and doing street team stuff. And then, which then turned out into doing the live crosses on air, okay. which then, and then, um, WS and Mix when it was mixed back then, um, found out I had a news degree and they had an opening in the newsroom and said, do you want full-time work? And I said, yes. And I said, okay. So then they put me on full-time there. Going back to your uni days, that's obviously a very strong breeding ground for a lot of media talent that has worked and currently does work uh, in media across the country. Yeah. Uh, were there any others in your year or your class that that kicked on and, and did the same thing as what you did? Off the top of my head, Amelia Charlton, who reads right. Channel 9 News. Um, there's She's now at Amelia Adams, isn't she? Yes, she's yeah. Amelia Adams. Yep, she got married. Um, there's quite a few. There was um, – I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Oh, God, there's a stack. There's a whole lot writing for papers at the moment. Okay. I know yep. there's a lot doing um, – online work. Um, there's a few reporters that have sort of floated in and floated out. Yeah. Eddie Bartholomew, okay, who yeah. she started in radio at um, 2GB, I think, or 2UE. Yep. Now she's now doing Seven Sunrise, so yep. she went to uni there. Um, there's a stack. that It's because it's such a... It's such a hands-on course. So you go out there right. and a lot of other courses are all theory. So in a newsroom, this is what you do. This is how you learn. This is how you write a news bulletin. Charles Sturt actually has an on-site radio station that you go and spend a week in as part of your course and you write news and then you present it. So you actually see it happening as it's meant to happen instead of just sort of watching it on screen saying, okay, that's what's going to happen. You actually get to live it and feel it and understand how quickly it has to happen and what it actually, the whole process from start to finish. And was that something that you enjoyed straight away once you went through that whole practical experience of, okay, this is what you actually have to do to put together a a news bulletin or a radio program. Yes, so I loved it. So the first year um, of the course was across the board. So you did both broadcast and print. Um, and then I decided to major in broadcast, which was mainly radio and TV. Um, and 
loved every second of it, every second of it. I never thought I could love study ever because school, like I was, I was an average student, like did quite well in the HSC, but never really loved studying and then went to uni and thought, I now understand why people who enjoy school do so well because you actually want to study and you want to be there and you want to do this assignment and do well. Yeah. And applied learning. 100%. And so having that and and because I'm a very hands-on person, so um, I like to actually Whatever I'm supposed to be doing, I like to actually get in there and experience You're it. You're not a watcher, do, you're a doer. Yeah, I'm a doer. So having – and they've got sort of an, an on-campus TV station there that you go and you practice in front of a camera. You practice – learn. you learn how to manoeuvre a camera if you want to go and do camera work after. There's sort of all these different elements that you didn't even think existed sort of before you went there. And then – and, of course, the radio newsroom, which is where I started off. Um, and it's – yeah, it just, I, I never, when I was five or six, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, never in my wildest dreams would I have said a news reporter on TV, radio, or in print ever. Yeah. I probably would have said an astronaut or something, but <laughs> <laughs> the typical five year old kid answer. Yeah. But I'd, yeah, and so, and, but it's, it's, I've been in the career now for 15, 16 years. Wow, that's, a, that's good going. Yeah. When you went and did that street team thing there at WS and yes. Mix. Did you not see the the connection there? Or you mentioned someone else said, oh, you know, come up and try this. You didn't actually go for it yourself as as such. You didn't tell the the newsroom. No. At that time, I think I was. Had you done any radio or anything before that? No. So I I finished uni in, must have been 2003. I got some work experience um, at the local Bathurst radio station. So it was, had been doing a little bit of news there, a little bit of announcing, yep. sort of a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of copywriting as you do in a right rural radio station. Everybody does everything. Yep. So, um, and sort of like that, but then needed a little bit more and moved back to Sydney. Um, and applied for jobs everywhere. Every single radio station I reckon I sent my resume to. And and a tape or a, a yes, video yes. or <laughs> Yeah, well, it was yeah, I think I think I decided I wanted to go into radio. I really loved that the most sort of out of uni. So came out of that, sent them a little demo and just said, I'm prepared to do anything. And I legitimately, I didn't ask to start in the newsroom. I said, I'd, I will make your coffee if you want. I just want to work at this radio station and said, this is what I'm qualified as. This is what I've got experience at. Do you have any junior or casual positions going? And so two GO and CFM up the central coast said, right. yes, we've got a spot on the street team. Come and do that. Um, and at the same time, Mix and WS were hiring as well. So I was at one point working seven days um, sort of between the two driving up the central coast and coming down and doing a shift in Sydney and just driving around doing sort of the live crosses. Then then I sort of started to realise, well, hang on, I really, really like the live cross component of it all and I really like chatting to the the DJs and stuff, but I still didn't know whether I wanted to be an on-air announcer or what part of the on-air stuff I wanted to do specifically. Yeah. And then... Then it just happened that I was, and I was sort of looking for more cash as well because casual work can only, there are only sort of four hour shifts. Exactly. Um, and the Central Coast actually said they had a weekend, they were advertising for a weekend news reading position. And I put my hand up for that. So I was working five days in Sydney, Monday to Friday, and then driving up the Central Coast on a Saturday and Sunday to do their breakfast news, which started at like 4.30. So right. I was leaving the house at 3 a.m., I think, to get up there. 
and then was doing that and sort of getting home at two or three, going to sleep and doing it all again on Sunday, then going to work on the Monday. And then did that for probably seven or eight months and loved every second of it. Didn't even realize that I hadn't had a day off in sort of seven months, just could not get enough of it. Yeah, wow. And um, then then I think just through conversation and stuff working in the Sydney office, they found out what I, because I had to say no to a couple of the casual shifts on weekends and they found out that I was working in a newsroom already. And then when that position came up, um, they just sort of said, do you want to come up and trial for it? And I was like, sure. Why not? I'm open to anything, and sort of went into went in with the mentality of I'm going to try anything in this industry just to see what I like and what I don't like, yeah. and eliminate it as I went. And it just kind of happened that everything that I chose put me on sort of the right path and a path to something that was sort of bigger and better the next time around. And um, and I, it's where I am now, and I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything. Who are the early influencers in those? <sighs> days where you were pretty much learning on the job. Yes. Probably the earliest was Glenn Daniel. He, He's the earliest one that I remember, I guess, because I think when I started working in Sydney um, at Mix and WS, he always, you always sort of said hi to him. You kind of knew who he was walking through the corridors, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you kind of, you were just some little casual street team kid that he, he didn't know, but he was always lovely and said hi to you. And the then, world's nicest human. Yeah. <laughs> always so, so lovely. And then, then when they sort of said, Hey, come up and, um, you know, trial and here, he was just the most incredible and the most, the warmest human being you've ever, ever met and sort of really, you really felt like he was happy to hold your hand through the entire thing. And if you made a mistake, it's okay because you won't do it again. And it wasn't a case of it's okay, like go and make another five. No. It was sort of I, I believe in you and I understand and I am, have full faith that you understand that what you did is wrong and here you are and have another shot and just but just don't do it again. But um, And then and sort of I was um, Corinne McKay was the news director at the time yep. at WS as well and I think you were there at the same I time. Were, yeah, 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 I remember when you first started. Yeah. I think I'd just come across as a casual to work on the weekends and that's how we first met, I yes, think. Yes, that's so, right. You know, I used to be in there and I used to come and take over from your shift. So That's right, doing the sport in the afternoon. Yeah, exactly. Um, those, like I said, those early days would have been full of learning because you, like what you are now, on a solo person on a on the shift covering two stations. So yep. it's one of those situations where you do have to sink or swim, and you know what works and what doesn't work pretty yes. quickly. Yeah, oh, hundred percent, and that's it. Re- Radio, and that's the one thing if anybody sort of asked me, if anybody in the industry or just finishing uni or sort of um, like I've given a couple of talks to um, to young kids, young school leavers sort of deciding what they want to do and is media something I want to do, if you're up for a challenge and if you're up for literally flying by the seat of your pants and hoping for the best until you sort of – to get into your groove and to work out what works for you, media is definitely for you because it's pretty much when you look back, it's you've got to do it. If you're going to go out on the road reporting, you're going to get stuck, like sat in front of floodwaters and you're going to have to do a live cross in 30 seconds and come up with a minute and a half of content and you'll be thrown into the deep end and you have to be able to perform. So if you're if you're someone that thrives on that challenge and that thrives on that thrill, it's definitely for you. And I, I didn't really... I didn't really th- understand that about myself until I was 
thrust into that environment and it was kind of, hey, you're doing a shift on your own. It's a real rush, own. right? It really is. You're doing a shift on your own. You've got to come up with three minutes of news on two separate stations. Go. And you get in there and you think, I don't even know where to start. I have no idea. You gotta chase where reaction to, start. to stories, there's sport, there's a whole lot of things. And- Do I start with sport? Do I start with news? Like literally I get in there even now, some mornings if I'm half asleep and haven't woken up, I literally sit and stare at the computer and I think, I don't even know what to look at first. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get any better, kids. It doesn't get any better. But you do sort of learn you do learn how quickly and you do learn the value of a minute. That a minute is a long time. You've got sixty whole seconds in that minute. You can smash out three stories if you have to. Well, see, that's the whole art of it, isn't it, really? It's like, well, you know, you could write one story for one minute, but the fact is people out there in Radio Land, they want to hear as much as possible within yes. any given news bulletin. Yes. And the real skill is to actually try and make it work. So if that means that you've got to cut down a 20-second uh, piece of audio down into something that's like six seconds just so that you can get another story in, yep. that's a real art, isn't it? Yes. Well, especially um, it, well, I always sort of – I was sort of really valued when I got to write a full bulletin, so to speak, a full bulletin in inverted commas, say like a Triple M or a WSFM bulletin. When most of my time, I guess, I like I was writing for Today FM and for Kyle and Jackie O, you literally did one full story, which was full story meaning two or three paragraphs, and then it was four or five briefs and you had a line and you had to come up with the six top stories of the day Yep. One of them you could elaborate on. The next five you had to sum up in one sentence yep. every single half an hour and then write one line of sport, which everybody's like, that's so easy. It's 60 seconds of news. And you try and explain and you're like, it's actually easier to elaborate and to be able to explain yourself 100%. in a normal sentence situation. So just having a conversation with somebody, having to shove all of that information in sort of two lines worth of content is extremely difficult and it kind of often takes more time than it does to write a normal story two to three pars. So it's it's sort of it's the way you look at it but it's it's always a rush and it is that challenge that you sort of aim for. Well, once you sort of gone through that grounding period with Glenn and Corinne, the opportunity came up to move to uh, Triple M and Today FM. Yes. Where that gave you the option of moving off weekends. Yes. And you were working Monday to Friday. How did that all pan out for you? Well, I at, to start with, so I used to, I was um, reporting on road for WS and Mix and sort of knew the news director at the time um, at Today FM and Triple M and said, look, we've got a position going. Um, it is some weekend work to start, but down the track sort of there is plenty of room to move. And I thought, great, I'll go and try something new. And um, so I went across there and I think I was, I worked, still worked weekends um, I think for at least eight months while I was there. Um, and same thing. So double station. So you yep. recorded one, ran down the stairs and read the other one, which I think still happens now. Um, and then Hamish and Andy came. They decided their first ever radio show. These two guys were going to take over the drive shift and see how they went. Nobody sort of really knew who they were. They right. were kind of two done Aussie. Done a little bit of TV at that stage. Two Aussie and, funny guys. Yeah. I think they'd only done a little bit of TV and now we're branching into radio and um, and they said, do you want to read afternoon bulletins? And I said, 
does it mean I have to get to come off weekends? And they said, well, yes. And I was like, well, yes, I don't even care who it's for. I'll read yeah. weekend, Monday to Friday. So, and then it turned out, so I read for them for um, a year, I think. And then when they... you would have done both stations as well because it doesn't happen these days. I think yeah. it's just like a split on drive where, you know, you've got a two-day newsreader and you've got a Triple M newsreader and you were doing both. And people don't understand that reading for two different radio stations... It's hectic. It is very because the, and the most challenging part is is that a lot of people say, "Oh, you've got an hour to write your news." You don't. By the time you read the news at let's say four o'clock, you read the news till three or four minutes past. By the time you get back up to your desk and like people stop you on the way or ask you about a story, it's about ten past four. Then you've got to smash out two new bulletins, work out what's happened, stay across the afternoon news, work out what's just happened in the time that you've gone. If there's a breaking news story or, you know, a fire somewhere or a terror attack, God forbid, or a bush in bushfire season, you've then got to work out what you've missed, go back and calculate all that for the next bulletin. Then if you're reading for two, you've got to pre-record one. So that you've got to go in and pre-record that bulletin at quarter two. So realistically, you've only got half an hour to write an entire two bulletins and, and then them and because for the they're audience. two completely different radio stations. Yes. There's a two different like vibes to them because yes. the program directors want maybe lifestyle and information showbiz in one yep. and then because Triple M's a blokey station, you kind of look kind of look for the the blokey stories as well as your regulation, you know, it might be crime stories or it might be, you know, anything that's happened in politics on any given day. So you've exactly. got to tailor those two bulletins to be completely different. People people say, oh, you know, you've got all this time, but realistically when there's one of you in the yes. radio station at that time, yes. not at all. And it's also um, the type of stories get skewed to certain radio stations, but it's also the way you write them. So the big thing now is to, it's not just a stock standard script that you could see anywhere, any time of the day. It's you have to get, they want you to get creative. So you have to sort of um, sit there and go, okay, who who am I writing this story for? And a lot of the time it would be, Triple M would be I'd write for my brother and today FM I'd sort of write for my mum or my sister. Okay. And that's who in my head I was, okay, well, how would I explain this story to them? And I'd sit down and, and and it really was I sit there and I would say, okay, how would I tell my mum this? If I was on the phone to her right now, how would I explain that there's just been a fire and three people have been evacuated um, or Chloe Kardashian's just touched down at the airport and like she's been mobbed and Paris Hilton's tried to punch her in the head or something like you've got to and and also keep to that time limit because a lot of it is timed out now as well so yeah. you can't elaborate and go over and it doesn't matter you've got to time out to the second and then that's the other challenge you've also got to time that so you can write all you want in the script then you realize that you're 35 seconds over time and you've got to go in and shed everything <laughs> you've just written and work out what you need to keep in what you don't it's sort of it's a lot more challenging i think than people sort of realize and it's always good when you get a work experience kid to come in and you sit them in there with you and they watch the whole process and by the end of the second hour their eyes are enormous <laughs> and they're just staring at the screen like I had yeah. no idea this is what went on behind the scenes. All yeah. you think is this polished little three minute package that goes to air yeah. and you just you don't understand. Like you don't get to eat, you don't get to go to the toilet, you don't get to do anything. Especially, no. especially if there's sort of a breaking news story, and 
programming wants you to run in with 10-minute updates, you've yeah. also got to have that 30-second script and be across every single story so that if an announcer asks you a question about it, you're across it and you can say, well, this just happened and we've, we, had, we don't know about that yet, but the police are just about to update us on this. So it's it can get really full on. There are some days where everything's just stock standard, nothing's changed, yeah. it's all sort of politics and police stuff and it is just kind of a this is bang, bang, bang stories, but 95% of the time it's not that. You yeah. pray for those days. Oh, it's crazy. Then I think we pretty much came back together to working together when you moved to breakfast. I think you might have been editing yes. for Jeff Field at one stage. Yes. And um, how did you find the transition back to the early morning starts Monday to Friday? I didn't realize it probably until about then, but I was, was always a morning person. So even when I was reading afternoons, I was up at the crack of dawn doing stuff like right. going to the gym or going and catching up with people for breakfast or coffee. And, and then I actually, I work a lot better in the morning. I get bad 3.30-itis, which is fine if you work mornings because you can have a little nap. Yep. But um, in the mornings, like now, I'm up at 2 a.m. for my current job and I'm in the office by quarter to four. So, and I don't nap during the day. Usually I'll go to bed really early because I've always been an exceptionally good sleeper. Okay. So even back then, so when I transitioned, it was just kind of a case of, oh, eight o'clock, okay, time to go to bed. And off I went and then came in in the morning. I kind of like it in the morning. It's almost like you're beating everybody to all the information in the entire world. Yeah, that's true. And you sort of go through everything and you feel like you're finding stuff out before anybody else is. And it's a nice feeling. And then you get you get the choice of which stories get yeah. out to the rest of the world. And it's almost like it's your privilege to be telling the rest of the world those stories and, and letting people know about that and discussing that. And, and it was, it was nice writing for Jeff. Um, because it was kind of it was a fun news bulletin to yes. write for him like it was it was a lot of entertainment stuff it was a lot of the the lifestyle pieces and the casual pieces and you kind of didn't have to get too far into politics not or too heavy, yeah. not too heavy so it was it was a really fun and lighthearted experience for me I guess and then you had Triple M where obviously like if there was a major breaking story you would help them so you still got the serious side of the news and you got to help them edit and feed them information and you'd run sort of the the announcers and stuff in information if you could but um, and then when Jeff ended up leaving they kind of threw me in and on a trial basis for a whole year and then decided that they kind of couldn't be bothered to find anybody else so they just left me there and I was like okay well that works that's fine. Yeah, I was going to say that next phase came through, I think, after you'd had some time reading Breakfast on Triple M. So I think you would have been prepared for that step when the time came that Jeff left Kyle and Jackie O to go and work on Drive. So you pretty much had your training wheels on in terms of, okay, you delivered a longer news bulletin in the Triple M thing. So you were pretty much ready to go once they needed someone pretty much the next day Straight to go on air to fill on for Today FM. So two different markets again, you know, um, appealing to the, the bloke side of things and then having to go into that juggernaut that is the Kyle and Jackie O show. Yes. So it was the one thing I think that got me over the line so quickly and sort of helped me to adapt so quickly was the time that I did spend editing for Jeff. I wrote his news so I knew – 
like, like the back of my hand, the style, the timing, what they wanted, the conversation piece they wanted. I listened to him and listened to the interaction they had with him, knowing full well that they wanted to throw him under the bus at any chance they got. So then when I went into that role, and because I'd filled in for him when he went on holiday, so I got to sort of or had time off or was sick. Right. So I kind of got to experience a little bit of it, but then got to step out of it the next day and sort of calm yourself down and it's you live through it so it's okay um and then so walking into that role I kind of knew what to expect um which is I guess an advantage over anybody else that has had to go in there and was it frustrating that they took so long to confirm you as a member of the the team as such or their newsreader because it was a point where you just didn't know you didn't know yeah. where and there was other people that were coming in and trialing for the gig and yeah. then they they kind of had to go through like a stringent process when you had already learned the process and you were already there. I, personally, I found it strange that it took them so long given the, the fact that you made the transition so smoothly. It was it was a very weird situation. So obviously I wanted the job and I loved the job and I was in the job, but as everybody knows, Kyle and Jackie want a character like in their show. So Jeff was the gay newsreader. He was more than happy to sort of fulfill that role while he was there. Um, and then, but I sort of, I wasn't a character that are, I don't think they class me as sort of a big enough character to start. I was just the newsreader. Yep. And while some people appreciated that, other people were kind of, they were looking for that shock value that I just, I wasn't prepared to give up my personal life and I, that was, it was sort of something that I kind of decided going into that job is that I'd give a little bit and I'd give as much as, like my mum and dad are very traditional and very old school and they were very, very worried about what I was going <clears> to <throat> sort of spill the family secrets or, you know, what I was going to say about myself. And so I kind of. Did you lay the ground rules down or? In my own head. Right. So I sort of, I went. I went into the role and I turned around and I kind of said, okay, this is what I'm prepared to do, but this is not what I'm, what I'm not prepared to do. And didn't sort of tell anybody until it was, it was kind of on a case by case basis. So if they turned around and said, do you want to wash Wendell Saylor's car if you lose a bet on the middle of Panamata Road? And I was like, you know what? Why not? Mm. Potentially should have gone the other way, but look, what's done is done and that's fine and it was all good photos and stuff. But there were a lot of other things that they sort of asked me if I'd be prepared to do and I flat out said no. And I think that sort of that was the sort of thing that Jeff would have just agreed to and I think that's they were looking for that type of personality to come on board that they could just have as sort of and rip them to shreds and kind of have but them as But you're fun, right? Like, so it's not like, it's not like you would sit there and not answer the questions. No, no, Kyle, no. Kyle, as we know, can go down into the gutter fairly quickly. Yes. And you're pretty pretty good-humoured, like, in yeah. terms of being able to sort of take things on, being around, you know, different males at different stages of your life. So it's not like it was something that you were completely prudish about and no. you could return fire pretty quickly. You're pretty quick with the sort of repartee when time needs. So I think it may have taken them a while to actually think, actually, she can cope with this all right. And that's, I think that's, I think in their head when Jeff left, they had a preconceived notion of what they wanted in that role. I wasn't that, but then sort of, and then so they sort of started looking for somebody that would be a standout in that position. But you look at the majority of newsreaders are not going to be huge out there comedians. Like no. their profession is a newsreader. If you're a trained and talented newsreader, 
you just want to read the news. That's what you And do. the personality is a bonus. Like if you've got somebody that can hold a conversation and can fire back and can have an argument and isn't afraid to sort of put their opinion across and, and can have a laugh and can have a joke, that's great. That's the bonus that you got. And I think I like Jeff was sort of one of a kind in that sense is that he was – his, he was this over-the-top personality. Who well, the was, news almost came secondary yeah, in a way. Yeah. But in the, in the, way the, the way his personality the, evolved and the way the show developed. Yes, yeah. And that's that's sort of, I think, the point that they were at when he left and I think they wanted that to naturally flow on but it just it was never going to happen with me in there and I think they realised that but I think sort of after a year and after trialling a few people and realising that he was one of a kind – they just kind of went, you know what? This is, this is working pretty good. Like people aren't hating it. People aren't switching off. Let's just leave it be. And then, um, then, so yeah, I was there for just over three years, I think with them. Right. And then thought, I just need a change of scenery from the whole radio thing. There was a couple of things that happened in that show that you said you probably wouldn't have agreed to, but you ended up having to do. The thing with Wendell Saylor in the bikini, <laughs> washing the cars on Parramatta Road and, yeah. you know, Kyle's birthday where you had to pole dance with Lara yes. Bingle and that kind of thing. So yep. it was probably getting to the point where it wasn't fun anymore or the environment in the newsroom, as I remember, wasn't fun anymore. There were a few things that I kind of – I look, hand on my heart, I wouldn't change anything that I did. Like I stand by every decision that I made and, um, and I'm – I, like it's it's made me the person that I am and it's yeah. got me where I am sort of today. I'm not washing cars on the side of Panama Road has got me where I am today. <laughs> but um, no, and and I just I look at, back at it and I think, okay, that was an experience. I'm glad I didn't go any further. So I'm glad that I said no to the things that I said no to. And you didn't hang out with the team, whereas Jeff yeah. hung out with the team a lot. So. And it was, and it, I was always sort of very careful to, like there was the odd occasion that like we'd, go out and sort of have coffee or do like a team lunch or whatever. But um, it was... That group was very close. Like yes. the whole production team yes, they was really very, were. very tight. Like they lived and breathed the show and they probably still do, whoever's in charge with the show now over there at KISS um, because, I mean, I'd see those guys, they'd get in before me and I was getting in at around... I think about four o'clock, they'd be in before me and they'd be leaving it at five or six yeah. in, the, in the evening. That's and all, all they, they would did. do would talk about the show and the, yeah. what they were putting together, which probably is a main reason why they made it so successful. You were able to sort of be part of the show, but then that was it when the show was over. Well, whereas my... Jeff probably attached himself to the show a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, he was. The difference between sort of Jeff and I, my social life was in the newsroom. That's where I started. That's where sort of all my friends were. Then I came into the show. Jeff was part of the show and just sort of wrote his like news in the newsroom. So it was kind of the opposite situation for both of us. His sort of group was the show. Mine was the newsroom. And I think that's sort of, that's kind of where it went. And then it just kind of a few things changed, management changed, a few things sort of in the company just kind of went a certain way. And I thought, I just, I don't know if I love it anymore. Like, I think I just need a break. Mm. And so decided to take the plunge and step out of the industry that I just worked in for nine, 10 years 
And, and you went ended up uh, working as media manager for the Penrith Panthers, I think, first of all, on a maternity leave contract yes. and then you got the gig full time. Yes, exactly. So um, I went over and actually took over from one of our old colleagues, Mel. Um, she was Britain back then, Sheila now. Um, and she was going off to have her twins. twins yeah. That's right. And so I went over there and I thought, you know what, I'll give it a crack. If I hate it, it's a year. Yeah. If I love it, let's see if at least it'll give me the experience to if like if and when Mel does come back, at least it'll give me the experience to um go on and find sort of another job in that industry if I'm not ready to go back for radio. So yeah. and again, still taking on the whole I'll give anything a try. Um driving out to Penrith every day was not fun from Cronulla, <laughs> but that's okay. Um and then so sort of left there and started about May. I think, and straight, it was it was a very different environment. So yeah, talk us through that. What is the main difference in working for a media organization as opposed to a football club? There's no half hourly deadlines. That's the the first <laughs> thing I walked in, and everybody was having coffee in the kitchen and catching up on weekends. Oh, you and get a lunch break. And- you get a lot. La- you didn't do that in radio. You just. Literally, like you'd come in at four o'clock in the morning, and everybody'd be like, "Hey, have a coffee and type." And you rarely spoke to each other. It was just, it was actually mind-boggling for me to really sit there and go, "This is what like normal people do. This is what a normal office environment is." And I loved it. I came in the next day, and I was like, "Okay, so what we all do yesterday?" (laughs) Really, and sort of got right into it. And then you sort of you have. You plan your day so it's not governed by anybody else. That's the one big thing in oh, like hourly hourly deadlines. You know, you don't have that. You can oh, yeah. You, the the greatest thing is I think you know what I actually haven't finished this task today. I can do it tomorrow. A hundred percent. And so it literally it took me a, a while to really adapt to that because I kept I kept finding myself going into the boss going, okay, so what time do you want this done? And he's like. Mate, whenever take your time. I just need it done by like the end of the week. I was like, the end of the week? That's five days away. What do you mean? What am I going to do with myself? And But it, it actually sort of took me a little while to go and he, and half the time he'd sit there and go, whatever you want, whatever you decide. You just, and I thought, I can't think for myself. But Somebody, that, that must have given you a really great sense of responsibility. It was it was the most amazing feeling to sit there and go, hang on a second, this is actually my job. Like I'm not just an employee. This is my job that I get to mould and make how I want to make it and sort of get to know and form these relationships myself. They weren't sort of you're going to do this at this time and you need to have this in and five stories and you need to do this. It was kind of, okay, what's best going to suit the club? And I learnt so, so much about sort of the PR side of the media industry. So even though you were a media manager and you were the liaison between sort of media outlets would call you and say, can we do an interview or you'd organise a big press conference for a couple of the boys each week and then you'd liaise with the NRL and liaise with other clubs and stuff, that was all well and good. But it was also you, you also had to work a lot more closely 
with sales and with marketing and with the commercial side of things than you do in a newsroom. You don't get to experience that in a newsroom because you're supposed to be biased and straight down the line and just report the facts. In this situation, you're working for a club and it is your job to promote that club. You're selling essentially the entire club, the players and everything. That was a whole new experience for me and a challenge that I loved because I'm – I also found that I'm very, very creative that way in that I'll look for some weird and wonderful option or or really sort of bring the boys into it. Like a lot of the time, like I got a, so much enjoyment from training those boys up in the media and sort of sitting there and half the, half the team are like 18, 19, yeah. never seen a camera in their lives, ran the other way when I told them, hey, you're going to do your first media interview this week. They literally hid from me in the gym. I would go down and try and find them and they would hide in the toilets. And it was really sort of fulfilling for me to to actually put them up there and to watch them grow in that sense and to watch them sort of develop all these skills and then then to have the benefits of it come back as well. So you'd put the story up on the website, yep. then sales and marketing would jump on board and go, hey, I didn't know that kid had that in him. Can we use him for a promotion or can yeah. we use him for this? And you really sort of felt like- So you can pick and then you can decide, okay, well, such and such is good for this project. Yes. He may not necessarily be good yes. for that one. You know, he might be good to go out and visit the kids at the um at the school clinics. Exactly. Whereas, you know, this guy here, he might be good to front our marketing campaign. Hundred percent. And you actually you got the sense that you were really helping these kids on their life journey, if you like. Like you were sort of a lot of the guys that had never even considered media or anything before and who hated the thought of talking to a reporter. Yeah. And now have contracts with the Channel Nine Footy Show, and are now doing sort of like paid interviews on a regular basis with like Channel Ten and with this, and because if you like, you kind of it's a, you got to sell it to them too, right? Oh, it's a massive people management job more than anything else. You have to know as a media manager of a football club or of any industry, you have to know how to manage people, how to approach different people from different. So you have to know how to talk to the CEO. You have to know how to talk to the head of marketing. You have to know how to talk to a player, but you also know how to talk to a coach, your boss, your colleagues. It's And they're all completely different. You have to take completely different approaches to everything to get your idea or what you need over the line. So, you know, if a player's having a bad day and they're due to do media, you have to work out the best way to actually get them out of the locker room and in front of the camera. And half of them would refuse, flat out refuse. And it was about sitting back going, okay, if you yell, they're going to say no. If you go and tell on them, they're just going to get angry at you and they're not going to do it for you in future. So you really have to sit there and sort of play the big sister or the mother role, if you like, and say, look, I'll come out with you. Don't worry about it. I'll make sure they don't ask these questions. And it's sort of, and having worked on the other side of things, it was very easy for me to relate to the media as well. And to sort of, understand. So if they'd come to me with a story and say, okay, who's best suited for this? And I can say, well, this person does this, this person does this. And then have a chat to them about the best way to approach the player and to say, okay, this is what you want to get out of them. So this is the path you need to take. And nine times out of 10, it worked perfectly. Both parties were happy. So the players were comfortable. The journos got what they wanted. And we got some really, really good press out of it. And we rarely got sort of any negative feedback because all the media outlets were getting what they wanted out of Panthers. And it was, I just, I loved every minute at that, at that job. It was such a good club to be part of. I think. 
one of your great strengths, having worked with you for probably five or six years, would be the fact that you're able to do that, like problem solving. Mm. If somebody from sales or somebody, I don't know, from another department came in and, and said this to the newsroom, you'd be pretty much the one that would be saying, well, actually, we can do it this way. We won't be able to do it that way. Is that what you see as one of your great strengths, being that person that's being able to be, I guess, a, like a conduit to just like solve the problem? Here we are. We can all lose our shit over this or we can work it out. Like you're, a, I think you're a great problem solver. I have always believed. Do you know the funny thing? My teachers in primary school used to tell me that I was horrible at problem solving and had <laughs> that was the one thing that came home in report cards all the time and oh. I still remember my mum yelling at me for it. But I, I, And I don't know where I developed it from, but I think there is a solution to every single problem, regardless of what it is. There is always, always a way either out of it or to make a situation better. And instead of... And I, I used to sort of look at something and if I really didn't want to do it, I'd be like, nah, I'm not doing it. I'm not even looking at it. Can't be bothered. Now it's kind of, okay, I'm going to have to do this regardless. So let's find the most painless way to do it for me and for everybody else involved. And because a lot of the time it's not an option. And if you treat it as not being an option and as that if you just find the most painless way to get through it and to do it, and 90% of the time, it is just sort of an if somebody comes to you with something that you look at and go, this is not going to work. How do you propose we fit a 15-second out cue into my 13-second weather bulletin? <laughs> it's just not going to work. So you give them options and you always sort of put yourself forward as, look, I'm happy to do it and I'm happy to help you, but here is the issue. How about we do it this way instead? And it And I've found that it's sort of, that has got me very, very far because it, it to everybody else, you're, it looks like you're working with them. Yep. And you are sort of you're serving their case but you're also serving yours because you know you don't want to read that 15-second out cue and mm. rush through it and try and do it in the time that you've got. So just make it easier and there's always a way to make it easier. And it's like it is hard to sort of sometimes it'll take longer than other times to see that way but – there's always an answer to every problem. There's always a solution and it's just whether you actually want to take the time to sit down and work on that solution. And I've kind of found that in the long run, it's better to spend that time early and get the result that you want. Gus Gould is yes. a complex character. <laughs> yes. How did you find working with him? What did you learn? Gus is one of the most incredible human beings I think I've ever met. So we used to call him Cyclone Gus. Because he would literally walk <laughs> into the, he'd sort of, he was the general manager of rugby league or the executive general manager of rugby league when I was there. And he'd literally walk in once or twice a week, stroll in, tell people to do stuff, tell people to fix stuff, go and sign new players, go and fire other players, go and change this, decide that we're doing a presentation night here, decide that we're doing a big fan day here. Say, right, has everybody got it? And then walk back out. And then everybody would kind of sit there and go, so what is it that I'm doing? And the, and you just got it done. And he just, he doesn't, he doesn't try and be a business person. He doesn't try and sort of run the club or anything like that. He knows his strengths are football. He knows his strengths are finding players, putting teams together, like coaching a football team. And 
he is extremely good at what he does. And if he likes you, if it, he's kind of like Kyle Sanderlands, which is kind of why I think I learned how to deal with him very quickly, is that if he likes you, you are A-OK. If he doesn't like you, God help you, just leave. Just go to another club because it's, it's very hard to win personalities like that back over yep. if they're kind of already on the outer. So Gus was Gus knew what he wanted. Gus would just tell you to do it and you just did it. And that was it. Keeping the big man happy was all that anybody really cared about at Panthers because he did know how to run the club in that sort of the football side of things. And he did do a very good job. The players had a lot of respect for him. Um, everybody in that club had a, has, has still has a lot of respect for him. And um, I think he's done a really, really good job. So he and I always, you know, we, we didn't always see eye to eye, but we always got along. And I think if you are very good at your job and you stand your ground and you do a very, very good job in what you're employed to do, he ha- he will have the utmost respect for you and sort of let you do your job and he'll do his. You mentioned the other complex character that you work with, Kyle Sanderlands. Yes. Does it get a bad rap in the media? Yeah, I think it is slightly negatively skewed. I think there's a few personal agendas going on against him that he sometimes falls victim to. But at the same time, I've he's he's a case of if he likes you, you're okay. You're okay. If he doesn't, literally just walk away. Just don't even try. So he and I got along. He and I always sort of saw I don't, I would push each other's buttons, but it was always sort of very amicable. And then at the end of the day, you'd be like, "Yep, see you tomorrow." And that was he was to me. He was lovely. And but what you see and what you hear on radio is what you get with him. He's straight up. He's not putting it on. He's not over-exaggerating. That's what he's like. And if you love that kind of personality, then you're obviously going to get along with him. If you don't or if, you know, you're a little bit sensitive or um, you sort of you don't appreciate brutal honesty all the time, then you're probably not going to get along with him. But the thing that I admire the most is he really doesn't care. He does not care. So true. He will say what he what he thinks, and it, and in all honesty, it's probably what a lot of people are thinking. Um, he's raw, right? It's he's just like- so raw, and he just doesn't care. And I really admire that. I wish sometimes I could be that brutally honest. I probably thank my lucky stars that I'm not, because I probably would have been in a lot more trouble. But um, but no, I I always got along with him, and I think he's a great. What advice would you give to younger people that are looking to break into the media industry? Um, it is a difficult area these days to get a job because there's a whole lot less of them out there. You said in your early days that you were prepared to do just about anything to get a gig and you mm-hmm. did. You worked up uh, seven days a week, two jobs in the media industry just to get your name up there. Yeah, Is that something that someone looking to get in has to do? Yes. In all honesty, regardless of what you're trained to do, regardless of what you want to do down the track, if you want to work in radio or in TV, it's exactly the same. You do anything. You just get your, it's, you get your foot in the door. However you have to, if you have to deliver mail, if you have to sit on reception, if you have to make coffee for people, if you go and intern for free, do it. Because once you have your foot in the door and once people start to get to know you and if you are good at your job, they're not going to let you go. 
So radio is the type of industry that's based on skill. So it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. So once you've got your foot in the door, a degree does help. But um, like I I got in doing promotions. I drove around street town and gave out donuts like three times a week. <laughs> like, And that was – and then – because once you're working for a company, they're always more than happy to, if you went up and said, hey, do you think I could come and watch this shift? Or do you think I could come and sit with the sales guys for a while and just sort of see what they do? I'll stay out of their way. Mm. If you make yourself known to everybody in that company, and I did, I made sure I said hello to every single person that I passed in the corridor, whether I knew them or not. And like, because eventually you get to sort of work out where they work. And turns out I knew half the WS sales team after a year. I didn't even know where they worked, but I said hi to them every day <laughs> and they knew, they knew my name. And so by the end, of the year, they came up and having a conversation and they were asking for me to go out to their clients' jobs and do um, do the street team stuff for them. So then they were reporting back. I was being specially requested. They were then reporting back saying, Em's doing a great job, you know, blah, blah, blah. It helped me then move up through the promotions department. So I was doing street team. Then I started doing some admin work in the office. Then I moved into national promotions when one of the girls left there and was working in there, which coordinating promotions interstate sort of around the country. Never thought I would have ended up there. And then, then got the news gig. So it's sort of, and it literally, I was, I think I was at that. I think I was at that station for a good four or five years and did maybe four or five different jobs. Yeah. And I still sort of talk to a lot of those people that I never worked directly with, but like I'm friends with a lot of the sales guys on Facebook that I haven't spoken to or seen for years, but they still remember me. And that's the biggest thing in media. If you get your face out there, not necessarily by being this giant over-the-top personality, but if you get your name and your face out there as somebody who's well-respected and well-liked. Right? Like- yeah, 100%. Networking, say hello to everyone. I don't care if you're shy. I don't care if you don't know them. Say hello to everybody. You never know what's going to come in the future and who is going to be in charge of some kind of opportunity. That's exactly right. You know, uh, having that cordial approach, it's only going to reap rewards down uh, further in the future. And the one thing, the one thing that I've learned, and it's, it's happened a few times, is that I've said hi to somebody willy-nilly just in the corridor or at a sort of at a function or at a party and walked off, completely walked off. I've come back into work two days later and somebody said, oh, so um, the big CEO from this company thought you were just delightful. And I was like, I'm sorry, who? And unbeknownst to me, I just said hi to this CEO who expected sort of people to sit down and be very courteous and explain themselves and introduce themselves. And I just kind of brushed him aside willy-nilly, but I'm the one he remembered and he's the one that went back to my boss and sort of asked who I was. And that's the biggest thing and sort of making people remember who you are, not by being rude or arrogant or over-the-top nice. It's just being yourself and just letting people know what a great person you are and just say hi to everybody. It's not going to hurt. No. If they don't know you, they don't know you. Who cares? <laughs> Where to next for you? Don't know. So I've got a couple of things in the pipeline. So still 2016, um, we'll start off with a big sports breakfast still in the mornings. Um, I'm also doing some work with the gym that I train at as well, just doing their sort of social media things. And then there's a project in the pipeline at the moment that we're hoping to launch. It's a new online project that we're launching sort of the beginning of next year, which I'm hoping might take off and will potentially take me on a different path again into career land and stay tuned.
we'll see what happens. Emma Duxbury, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Ralph Tucker. My pleasure. There she is, Emma Duxbury. I told you she was lovely, didn't I? If you really enjoyed my chat today with Emma, please let her know by sending her a tweet at mduxbury. That's E-M-D-U-X-B-U-R-Y. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be really great. It'll mean you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a rating or review, and that way more people will learn about the show. I've already had some great feedback, so I'm really appreciative of that. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast. Podcast.